Hello, and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Indace Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. This week, our very special guest is Tony Krzyzewski, Director at SAM for Compliance, Global Cyber Alliance Ambassador, and CS- CIS Controls Ambassador. Tony, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, well, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a New Zealand based um, cybersecurity specialist, and I've worked in IT since 1977. It makes me somewhat of a dinosaur these days. And I've worked in multiple sectors, including mainframe operations, engineering, uh, the fledgling microcomputer industry, networking, internet service provision. But for the last 26 years, um, I've focused on cybersecurity. Uh, I help run our Sanford Compliance online self-assessment and management system, and I provide assessment and advisory services across a number of sectors here in New Zealand. Um, As you've already mentioned, I'm an ambassador for the Global Cyber Alliance and a CIS Controls ambassador. Um, I contributed to the development of CIS Control 7, 7.1 and 8, as well as the IoT and Cloud Companion Guides to the CIS Controls. Also in a voluntary capacity, I'm New Zealand's convener for International Standards Organization Committee SC27. And in that role, hold the nation's vote on the progression and final approval of the ISO cybersecurity, information security and privacy protection standards. All of that keeps me pretty well entertained these days. I can imagine. And we're very lucky to have you as a guest. So we appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, as, as you described in your background, um, you, you have all sort of standards initiatives, and you, I understand you've recently been working on a cybersecurity improvement initiative for the country of New Zealand. Tell us about that, obviously, whatever you can share, and, and talk about uh, what the key drivers were and, and what the planned outcomes of the initiative were. Well, our focus here is, is within the New Zealand local government sector specifically. Um, We've got uh, just over 90 local authorities uh, within New Zealand, and we're, we're a pretty small nation. And a lot of these local authorities are relatively small, you know, 250 to 500 users. Some are much, much smaller than that. And one of the issues there is they really haven't had the in-house knowledge or expertise to resolve cybersecurity-related risk. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we've, we've, we created a program to improve cybersecurity and reduce information security related risk right across the sector. So the first step here was we actually created a customized framework. Uh, What we did was take the CIS controls um, and add about another hundred controls on the top of that um, to fix the issues that I'd seen over 26 years of auditing of local authorities. Um, Really the goal here was to make a difference, to actually, rather than go in and say, here's an audit, do something, go back the next year, you see the same things, you see the same things. Any auditor will tell you that's what reality is. Right. So what we did this week, we put that into our SAM compliance platform, which is SAM is self-assessment and management. Um, And it's an online service that actually helps people understand where they are and put in the process just to improve, you know, actions and tests and reporting and likes. Um, it started off pretty slowly, like most things, but right now we have um, just over half of New Zealand's local authorities on board. 
and it's growing steadily every month. One of the great things, of course, once you actually have a group of information there, we can benchmark. And what we're now doing is we're providing benchmarking across the sector. So each of those local authorities can see how well they're doing against their peers. Um, there's nothing like a, a that to drive uh, improvement, believe me. Um, we also decided to turn cybersecurity on its head rather than punishing you for being bad. We said, we'll award you for being good. So we added in an annual awards program. And in part of that program, we um, actually award the most improved, not the best. Okay. What we've got now is the first cross-sector real statistics at a framework level. We know where the issues are. We know where the common programs are, problems are. And what we can do now is actually develop um, awareness and training and improvement to actually fix those levels. What we're actually seeing now is consistent improvement and reduction of risk levels right across that sector. And I think this might be the first time this has ever happened on the planet where we've got a whole sector working together um, actively, collaboratively to uh, reduce risk. Um, and the program's working really well. Everybody involved is, is contributing in there. And we've actually gone through and we've, we've now developed you know, an incident management system um, for local authorities because that became a, we got, that was identified as a really big problem. Um, and we've had a risk management system in there as well. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real success for the country. I'm very pleased that it's, it's where it's going. Outstanding. Well, I love the part about being able to measure the, the improvement because you're absolutely mm -hmm. right on the, the audit comment, right, about it's usually the same thing every year, right? And I, I talk to a lot of CISOs every time. They're still dealing with the same issues. They just can't overcome them. So. Yeah. Well, we're actually seeing the same in uh, right across uh, all of our client base, really, we're, because the whole thing is we're actually telling people what they should do, how they should resolve it, mm -hmm. and then measure it and be able to report back on how well they're doing over time. Those, those time graphs are really, really useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Tony, I know in working with you, um, operational management process uh, processes mm -hmm. are paramount for you in any cybersecurity program. Why is this so important? And, and what are some of the best practices in this area you recommend to our, our listeners and our viewers to, to take on? Well, you know, it's really easy to focus on the high level response to cybersecurity. Um, you know, we, let's go buy the latest and greatest um, whatevers um, because that will fix the problem. Well, actually the real problem lies at the core of operational management. <laughs> It's doing the basics, doing them well, and, and actually knowing that you're doing them well. Um, so once you get those basics in, under control, it does actively reduce cybersecurity-related risk. And in fact, that's what the CIS controls is all about. Mm. It's fixing the things that are known to cause problems. You know, practical, pragmatic, effective management practices that are proven to reduce risk. I and mean, if you actually look at CIS controls version eight, uh, which was really the very first remodeling of the CIS controls since Tony Sager invented them all those years ago, um, the controls now really have started to focus on um, 
the protection of information and the systems that I use to, you know, process, store, and transmit that information. To me, that's what cybersecurity management is all about. Mm -hmm. So by getting in and, and fixing those operational things, knowing what you have, knowing how it's managed, um, and effectively controlling it, that to me is the core of cybersecurity management. No, that's, that's excellent insight. So why do you think so many organizations tend to skip some of the operational management processes? And, and how do you get them to change their mindset around this piece? Well, we will need to get out of the mindset that cybersecurity only involves those in the risk and cybersecurity team. You know, we're seeing organizations build these teams up now um, with CISO, cyber response, risk response. But in a lot of organizations, I'm actually seeing a disconnect between that team and the operational system administration level. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of, this is my job. This is your job. Um, I'm there to manage and look at what you're doing, but they're really not driving down and becoming a cohesive team within the organization. The real knowledge about what happens within systems occurs at that level within the organization, um, which is why I focus my assessments on that level. Uh, <laughs> right. Because at that point, I lose learn the truth, uh, not perceptions about the state of organization. Um, I did an assessment for one organization a couple of years ago, and I never spoke to the IT manager. Um, I only spoke to his operations team. Um, because in that case, I actually really did learn what was happening, not what the IT manager perceived was happening within the organization. And really, you know, if you don't understand the value of your information and, and how it's being managed, stored, and transmitted, then in effect, the organization is flying blind. Yeah. And that's why I really push this organizational management side of things is core to any cybersecurity management um, program. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And one of the things that's kind of related in, uh, in, in that vein, I've talked to a number of CISOs in the past year or so. And one thing I keep hearing from them related to this is how they're not doing enough training or uh, what I would call security fire drills. How do organizations evolve to get on board with the simulation and training mindset as being so key and so fundamental, right? So you know what, how your people in the trenches are going to respond. Well, this has to be part of any response and recovery planning strategy. Um, if you aren't prepared, then any risk you have has to be rated as extreme because you don't know how to respond. Uh, and then frequently when I'm doing assessments, and in fact, the majority of assess baseline assessments that I do is response and recovery, which are the main areas of failure. Mm, um, and this really needs urgent action. Security fire drills and incident response exercises, you know, while they may be time consuming and everybody says, I don't want to do them, I don't have time to do them, um, it's never going to happen. Well, I can tell you, it does happen. You know, on the internet, you're just a number waiting to become a statistic. Right. You're just in the queue. So this is an area where you do have to invest and in the protection and ongoing viability of your information and systems. 
So this is something the organization has to do before the incident, rather than sitting staring at each other, wondering what to do next when an incident occurs. That's precisely the wrong time. So this, again, has to be driven through the organization. And this really comes right from governance. Um, how well are we prepared to handle the incident and recovery and response when it happens to us, um, not if it happens to us? Yeah, no, that, that's the point I was just going to add on was uh, everybody I talk to, it's not, it's not if, it's just when and, and how bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So switching gears a little bit, because, uh, you know, it's, it's still tied to your background that you've got such a breadth on. Uh, email phishing attacks are, are mm-hmm. still the leading threat vector. And I've heard estimated as much as 93% of all security breaches. And, and in your history, your career, you've been very active in promoting DMARC. Tell us a little bit about DMARC, why it's so important for organizations to adopt and implement. You know, in the, in the early days of uh, email, um, we focused heavily on spam protection. The, the market developed for spam, and really what happens now is we've seen the criminalization of spam. Uh, as you're, you're correct, spam phishing is used as the primary attack vector into our networks. A big problem here is that the uh, simple mail transport protocol, SMTP, mm-hmm. is fundamentally flawed. Um, you know, it's a 30-year-old technology, 30-plus-year-old uh, protocol that's only had a few minor changes since it was developed. So what we've done is we've bolted on some fixes in there, um, our sender policy framework and domain keys identified mail in there to actually help um, prove who the sender is. What DMARC does, you know, domain-based message authentication reporting and performance, is it instructs the receiving mail system what to do if it receives an email that is from a falsified source. So we're giving the email receivers the likes of Gmail and uh, you know, yeah. Outlook Mail instruction about our organizational stance on um, our trust of our email domain. And what this does, it actually, it's, it's a cleansing system. It removes um, the falsified emails out of the net and makes sure they don't end up in the hands of the recipient. Perhaps the best example of DMARC it lies with the, the United Kingdom um, Treasury, or so the, the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Okay. They've actually put in DMARC quite some years ago and to date, they've actually removed millions, literally millions of falsified emails off the planet and prevented them from hitting the recipient, their target, per se. DMARC's quite funny because it, it's, it's a technology that's there really to protect the reputation of the organization. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a contribution to the greater good of the planet. <laughs> any, any email domain, in fact, every single domain that an organization owns should have a DMARC record enabled in it. You know, quite often organizations focus on, let's just do DMARC for our email domains. Well, 
All of your other domains can be used to send falsified email because it's trivially easy to falsify email. So every domain owned by the organization has to have a DMARC record. And the other thing is with DMARC, there are, there are various settings. How are we going to tell the organization to the recipient to handle email? So the very, very important thing here is the final bit of DMARC is when you set P equals reject. And it says, throw away the bad stuff, only deliver the good stuff to the organization. DMARC, to me, is an absolute essential part of an organization's cyber security response program. No, that's that's great. It's, I don't think enough people know enough about it, right? So, which is one of the reasons I wanted to raise it because I think uh, I think it's key as well. So, what are your recommendations for organizations to get started and implement for their businesses to make sure it's it's a, a key stake a staple for their infrastructure, as you described? Well, DMARC's quite interesting because it's one of those things that you can actually enable and start getting statistics within five minutes. Okay. Um, and, and that's the first thing you do. Um, enable it, put it in place. Um, actually, what we really need to do is teach the systems administrators that you can do this without breaking stuff. <laughs> because I see a resistance within the operation side of it that it's, it's a technology they don't understand, it's a process they don't understand. Um, and so our, there's a resistance level in there. You can turn DMARC on at the reporting level and it will tell you immediately what's happening within your domain email services. Um, I had a, a uh, an organization, a UK organization, on, on one of our um, Global Cyber Alliance DMARC training sessions um, they turned DMARC on in reporting and they discovered 94 uh, email senders that they had within the organization that IT didn't even know about. Wow. <laughs> Just turning it on for that stats session, right. getting going is has real value straight from the go. No, that, that's a great example. And, and again, why I wanted to encourage you know, teams that may not be, are, are you still seeing lots of organizations not have it turned on? Yes, it's, it's quite interesting here in New Zealand. When we when I started my New Zealand DMARC campaign, um, specifically the New Zealand government, I, I was successful in in getting uh, DMARC embedded into the New Zealand Information Security Manual. Um, and uh, when we started off, we, we presented the government with the stats. We said, you know, 2.9% of uh, New Zealand government agencies, the .gov.nz, were DMARC compliant, which was not very good. Um since then, we're hitting close to, you know, we're going through 35%. Um, okay. But we're still a long way to go. Long way to go, yeah. But really, this is all about awareness, um, the benefits of, of having DMARC. And as I said, the real benefit is, is not directly to the organization, but it's the benefit of the greater populace of the planet. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and if there's a way I can turn it on for my, my Gmail, my Outlook mail, <laughs> I'd love to. So, Tony, looking beyond uh, processes and, and email, what are some other tools you see as paramount for organizations to be implementing? Uh, I'm seeing there, there's a massive surge in SOAR and XDR solutions on the market. Um, how do you see these tools like these helping or hurting? And are there other tools or, that you think are, folks need to be paying as much attention to? 
you know, well, you know, the, the development of protection mechanisms has, has been ongoing uh, since we invented the internet. You know, the saw, you know, security orchestration, automation and response, and now um, XDR, extended detection and response, are just next generation technologies um, that we're seeing as part of a, you know, a protection ecosystem per se. Um, XDR is, is quite interesting um, because what we're seeing there is the concept that we're we're pooling on existing firewall, email, you know, cloud access security broker, identity access management, and data leakage prevention technologies, and bringing them that information together into a you know a, a big ball that we can then analyze and put a bit of artificial intelligence behind. Um, to understand what's really happening within the information flows in the organization. It's, it's very much in its, its early days. It's like, you know, the firewall was in the, in the early 1990s. But I think this has got great, uh, you know, great potential. Um, and it will take time as we develop standards and, and the APIs and the interfaces and um, we have to create standards around this because we don't want to be in a vendor-specific world here. Um, so until those uh, common protocols and common access come about, we, we've got some challenges there. The key thing here today is to, you know, effectively have, you know, protection mechanisms in place that work in our new world because we've... I think we're actually in the verge of a, a, one of those um, changes in our computing environment. You know, we had the mini mainframe world where our protection mechanisms were based within the machine. Right. And then we had the local area network world where, where protection mechanisms were based on the fact that we had a, a very strong single boundary uh, mechanisms and antivirus. Uh, the, the new COVID world um, has actually broken out of that boundary. And I'm, I'm using the term, you know, we're now entering the distributed area network world where our network boundary literally lives inside people's houses or people's pockets. And of course, in, in those houses, we don't necessarily control the technology that people are using. We don't necessarily control the computers they're using to access our information. Mm -hmm. So any protection mechanisms that we have now have to take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. Our processes and our procedures that we use uh, around the protection of information have to take into consideration this new challenging new world mm -hmm. um, that we've has been forced on us. Um, and it's been quite interesting looking to see how well or not organizations have handled this challenge of suddenly saying uh you are now immediately remotely working um, yeah. and some have done it very well some have done it very badly um and you know when we take this distributed area network and uh, the continual growth of cloud services you know it will take time for our systems and protection mechanisms to adapt but that's what you need to think about right now yeah that's a great, great point. I mean, I was talking to somebody about how you mentioned my home, uh, you know, all the IoT devices I have in my house are, are now vulnerability points potentially for the company 
Hence the the need for you know VPNs and and things like that. So, so Tony, you've you've made when we were talking earlier, you made a number of uh, lookbacks of things you projected. Uh, one thing I always like to ask our our guests is when when you look forward six to eighteen months uh, and this continually shifting battle for cyber network security, what's one thing you think our listeners and our viewers should should really look out for or be thinking about in the next? you know, six to 18 months. Yeah. The thing, the thing is here is that, you know, when we created the internet, um, we really didn't think about the consequences of what we were doing. Um, you know, we, we thought it was going to be a, you know, great communication system. And what we're doing today, our conversations online, free of charge, global calling and the likes, with, with, you know, there were great concepts and the likes. What we didn't realize is that we were creating a mechanism for advancing criminal activity. Um, and, you know, you, you talk to uh, the likes of Ian Dyson, the, the commissioner of the City of London Police, you know, 80% of, or 80% plus now, of crime committed in the United Kingdom has a cyber component, right? So what's going to happen is, you know, the, the, the criminal fraternity of the nation state attackers are just simply going to continue building on what they're doing. They're, they're actually investing more in their side than we are in our protection mechanism. So people are going to have to be really aware of the techniques are going to advance. We have to keep up with this. Unfortunately, that's my prediction for the next 16 to 18 months, and it's it's not a pretty one. Um, user awareness training. User awareness training, not just within your organization, but getting user awareness training right out to the greater world um, is absolutely essential, and a tight focus on that is, is where we need to go. No, that's uh, you've had a number of great insights over your career of things to look for. I, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I love the analogy you just described of when the internet was built for all the things it could do, didn't realize the the things it might do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and those things are you know becoming a platform for, for threat actors and cyber criminals and just criminals anymore. Right. <laughs> Even yeah, just, it's just criminals. Yeah. Just, yeah. just stealing credit cards now is their, their platform. So Tony, yeah. well, I want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to share your tremendous insights and in how to better secure networks. We'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our fusion technology partners, please go to endace.com. Tony, thank you again. Really appreciate you taking some time. It's a pleasure.